Thank you, Caitlin. Yeah, that was the worst April Fool's Day joke ever. <laughs> Waking up to that. Blah. Uh, all right, but we're done with it, right? Yeah, we'll see. All right, you're going to need your Bibles this morning as we dig back into our series in Psalms. So get out your Bibles, open up your Bible apps. If you need a Bible, put your hand up, and our ushers are coming around. They've got Bibles, and they'll give you one that you can use to follow along in, and uh, we'll even let you know where you're going in that Bible. of the page numbers up on the screen and everything. And if you are receiving one of these Bibles and you don't currently have a Bible of your own, please keep the one that you receive. There is so much in there, and you're going to see that again today. I want to put in a little plug myself for something that we're doing here at the church um, that starts up again in two weeks from today, and it's a series called Grace Truth, and it is a conversational series that helps us look together at ways that we as God's people can respond to the LGBTQ community with love in the way that Jesus may have responded, and, and it is this tremendous opportunity to discuss and dig in and grow in this area. And I have to say, I've, I've gone through this and um, a number of other trainings like this, and they have been life-changing. Um, this is a really, really good series. There's some quality material in there. Uh, we've run this a couple of times. This is, I think, our third time doing it. Uh, there is information in your program about it, and like I said, um, it starts in two weeks, and you can register on our website. Information is there to, to sign up for that as well, or you can talk to the one who's going to lead the discussion. That's Kim Clayham. Kim, will you just stand for a second? This is Kim Clayham right over here, and just find her um, after the service here if you want to sign up for this as well, um, but I really strongly encourage you to get involved in this conversation. It is a tremendous way to equip yourself and to begin to think more and more about how we respond, how we love, how we demonstrate the qualities of Jesus Christ to the world around us. So it is really good. Get involved. All right. This morning, we are going to look at the 10th Psalm on our series of 15 Psalms called the Songs of Ascent. Um, I had to make a decision this week about whether or not to continue with Psalm 129 or take a break from the series because today is Palm Sunday and next Sunday's Easter. I decided to continue in the series and I'm really glad that I did because you're about to see something that I definitely couldn't see months ago when I first read this psalm and decided I'd do this series and you're going to see what I mean in just a little while. Um, psalm 129 is one of a few psalms in this series that I've read through and paused and thought to myself, who could I hand this psalm off to? I thought it might be a whole lot easier if I had somebody else preach this sermon, um, but I didn't. Um, I'm learning to sit and wait in Scripture and persevere, which is the theme for our message this morning. Uh, let me first share a valuable resource with you, one that I've used for a long time. There's a website and an app, of course, called Bible Gateway that I've been using for several years. Um, it's an easy way to get to various translations of the Bible. But Bible Gateway also offers a subscription to Bible Gateway Plus. And for less than $5 a month, you can gain access to over 50 Bible study resources like commentaries, dictionaries, encyclopedias, that kind of stuff. It provides you with a vast library to help you understand 
what's behind the words and context in the Bible, and I think it is absolutely worth the money. It's great. Um, I got my $5 worth just in one week as I searched the depths of Psalm 129, and so let's go there now and dig in. Turn to Psalm 129. We're going to read it first, and then we're going to get our scuba gear on and see what's in there. Psalm 129, this is what it says. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, and this is if you go back to the beginning of our series, remember this happened once before, this first line would be sung and then everybody would be invited to join in and repeat that first line. So it says, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms, nor do those who pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Now, as you can see, which I saw initially, there's some pretty strange imagery in there. It's an odd one. Um, even as an agriculturalist, I was scratching my head over the picture of someone plowing on someone else's back. The picture of, uh, of this is just disturbing. And the picture of harvesting roof grass made little sense to me. There's a lot there that God wants to show us. And we're going to have some fun with this. And even stranger than that, and not just to me, is the picture of the Israelites on their way to Jerusalem to the temple singing these words together out loud. Now, can you imagine if Kyle wrote a song for us that expressed our desire for our enemies to be humiliated and wither and die. Um, get a lot of airplay on Christian radio, that one would. <laughs> but there's so much going on in this psalm, and so let's get to it. I'm going to break it down first, shed some light on some of these statements and word pictures, and then we're going to grab hold of it for our own lives, and, and we're going to see a wild tie into the Palm Sunday story. Okay, here we go. The psalm opens in verse 1 and 2 with a statement of suffering. That statement is repeated by everyone as they walk, and it says, we've been picked on since we were kids. And this is a whole lot more than just some whining about things not going the way Israel wanted them to. They had legitimate cause for words like this to come out of their mouths, even on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Israel, God's people had faced a lot of persecution, sometimes just for being God's people. They had been attacked, taken captive, enslaved, and more. Egypt has had Israel in it as its possession for a while. It, it took 10 terrifying plagues to get them to let Israel go. The Philistines had taken shots at Israel. The Assyrians had thrown their share of punches. And this particular psalm may have been referring to what the Babylonians did to Israel. And we have some kids with us in the service this morning, so I'm not going to go into detail on what the Babylonians had done to them. 
Um, go read Lamentations chapter 4 sometime and see for yourself. Just don't read it before you go to bed. Israel had a right to say, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Israel had suffered tremendously throughout their history. This psalm is a cry of pain. It's a cry for justice. It's a cry to a God who had always been faithful to his people, but at, at times seemed like he simply wasn't looking or didn't care. And it's far from being the first time we see statements like these in the psalms. Um, the presence of suffering has already been felt, even in our own brief study of the nine psalms that we've looked at. Psalm 120 acknowledged that there were people in the world who hated peace. Psalm 124 declared the risk the Israelites faced of being swallowed alive by their enemies. Psalm 125 mentioned a wicked authority that threatened them. Psalm 126 lamented the fortunes that had been taken from them by the Babylonians. All of these point to the very real presence of suffering for Israel. But, it says, their enemies had not prevailed against them. Then the psalmist turns to a very graphic and difficult word picture. Verse 3 speaks of a disturbing agricultural scene where the plower is plowing on someone's back. I mean, last week we get this romantic scene of a fruitful vine and olive tree shoots around the table representing our families. This week we get this gruesome picture of a demented farmer cutting into someone's spine. That's gross. But this was not a shocking or new picture for Israel. I don't think they reacted like I did. I doubt that the writer of this psalm considered having someone else write this one because it was just too disturbing to put into words. In the book of Micah, there's a statement that says in Micah 3.12, Therefore, because of you, crooked rulers and false prophets, Zion, or God's kingdom, shall be plowed as a field. That's one reference that the psalm may be making, but there's another and this one has some pretty significant connections to it. Because the back is mentioned in Psalm 129.3, this is likely a reference to the suffering that Israel faced in places like Babylon that came with actual physical persecution in the form of their backs being beaten with rods. The beatings would leave straight, deep furrows on their backs as the rods broke the skin. Okay, Easter spoiler, Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, and this is Jesus he's talking about, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, or literally stripes, we are healed. Isaiah 50, verse 6 also says, I gave my back to those who strike. There's an amazing connection here between the anguish of the, the persecuted Israelites and the redeeming work of Jesus Christ that we're going to remember and celebrate next week. God heard Israel and responded with his son. And verse 4 points to that. It says... The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. This is a beautiful statement about 
God's victory in spite of or in the midst of injustice, the persecution of the Israelites, this is tied directly into verse 3 about the plowing. Even though those who persecuted Israel attempted to destroy them, attempted to break their spirits, drive them into extinction, crush them as slaves, their attempts were futile. Now, back to our farming analogy here. The plowers were attempting to plow their field, but God cut the straps that held the plow to the oxen so that the work of the oxen was meaningless, futile. No ground was plowed. Nothing of significance was accomplished. They were ineffective because of God. He took away their ability to have any real impact. Yes, there was pain and suffering, persecution and oppression, but it didn't take Israel down. Israel survived. God's people remained, and to this day, no force that wages war against God's people has been able to overtake us, and they never will. Jesus said that he was building the church on a rock and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Never has, never will. Because our righteous God has cut the cords of the wicked. No matter what they do, and they've done some awful things, the enemies of God's people have no real victory that they can claim. So now we come to verses 5 to 8. Um, it's not a very nice statement. These words don't sit well with our loving, peaceful, Midwestern Christian hearts. Um, this Canadian pacifist squirms a little when he reads statements like this in God's word. But we have to see this for what it is. Verse 5. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetops which withers before it grows up with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms, nor do those who pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Essentially, hey, enemies of God's people, wither and die, you lose. And this is actually a pretty entertaining picture. It's an agricultural analogy again, but it took even me a bit of work to get it. But what I think we need to do first is to come alongside the writer of this psalm and understand where these words and where these pictures are coming from. This is not a very loving statement. It's rather harsh. But we have to at least try to grasp where this is coming from. We have to enter into Israel's suffering for a minute. They were hurting. They were crying for justice. And God had dealt with their enemies in very aggressive ways in the past. God fought for them and defeated their enemies. We talked recently about how God dealt with Babylon after he called the exiles back home. This statement is pretty tame compared to what God did to punish Israel's enemies that time. But I also think that understanding this statement kind of takes some of the edge off of it. So let me draw a picture for you. And I have a real picture to show you. You ever seen this happen in someone's home? 
<laughs> Debris builds up in the gutter. It decomposes. It turns to soil. And a weed seed or grass seed may get blown in there or dropped by a bird. And you suddenly have weeds growing in your gutter. Maybe I'd I drove by your house and took a picture of your gutter. <laughs> now, believe it or not, this is truly what we're being pointed to in our psalm today. This picture. Grass on the housetops was basically the same as weeds in the gutter. In the corners of the roof, the wind would blow in debris, it would turn into soil, and eventually a seed blows in, and you see a little sprout develop. A little bit of grass. But that grass has very little soil to grow in to sustain it, so when the sun hits it, and it, it doesn't have to be... It doesn't have enough moisture or nutrients. That grass that's sprouted on the roof withers and dies quickly. That's what the psalmist is wishing on the enemies of God. And it actually gets a little funny here. Farmers in that part of the world at that time would harvest tall grass from all around them that they'd use for livestock feed or fuel or construction or other purposes. They'd go out and harvest the grass when it was ready. Lots of farmers would go out during a specific season and harvest the tall grass. And they would celebrate that harvest. They would even speak blessing over each other as they harvested, celebrating God's provision. Like in Ruth chapter 2 verse 4 where it says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, those that were harvesting grass, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. In our psalm, the psalmist is making the statement that no matter what God's enemies do to his people, the combined effect of their persecution wouldn't even amount to a handful of harvest or enough for the binder to tie together in a bundle or a sheave for collecting. Their efforts would amount to nothing. And no one would pass by and congratulate them on their harvest. It would be as ridiculous as someone walking by your house while you're cleaning out your gutters and congratulating you on your harvest. And I do appreciate the sassiness here in this psalm. The point? Whatever the world throws at God's people, including you and me, including this church, amounts to nothing because what the world does fades quickly and produces nothing of real consequence in light of our eternal future. You and I can and do persevere through things that are sometimes really hard or hurt a lot because God has broken the cords of the enemy's plow and what the enemy's trying to do to us truly amounts to very little in light of the victory that God won for us through Jesus Christ. God's people throughout history have not persevered because of how tough we are or because of all the earthly resources we have to overcome adversity. God's people have overcome because a righteous God has taken away the effectiveness of the enemy through the cross of Jesus Christ. We may face some difficult things, but the enemy is not the one reaping the harvest. 
His efforts are very temporary and very ineffective in taking God's blessing away from us. Now, today is indeed Palm Sunday. And I'm going to be honest about this particular holiday that we remember this time on the Christian calendar. This is a day that I wrestle with a little bit. We celebrate it with all kinds of upbeat messages and songs and and images and all that. It's called the triumphal entry, recalling the day when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem and he was hailed as a coming king because there were people who truly believed in who he was and there were some who knew of his miracles and such and they just wanted to see him. And so they waved palm branches and they spread their coats out on the ground to treat him like royalty, like a king. But I want us to think about where Jesus was in his head and his heart at that time. Honestly, Jesus knew what was about to happen. Before his arrival in Jerusalem in John 11, Jesus addressed the fact that he was going to die. Lazarus had just died, and we know what he did with that. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and declared himself to be the resurrection and the life. And a plan was formed then to kill him. And another plan was formed to kill Lazarus. Things were getting really intense, even to the point of Mary, at God's appointed time, anointing Jesus with expensive oil for what was about to happen to him. There is a lot going on in the story, and so I have an assignment for you, some homework. I want you to read the book of John this week. Will you do that? Read through the book of John this week. As we proceed through Holy Week, I want us to have a bigger picture in mind. So I'm inviting you to sit down with the book of John through the week and read through it. Set some time aside and read. You're going to see a whole lot more this Easter if you do that. But picture Jesus now, riding on a donkey as prophesied, before an adoring crowd, a crowd that he knew would abandon him as they saw what he was really there to do. He'd be left alone, and he knew it. He'd be tortured and crucified, and he knew it. He would die and be buried, and he knew that. Looking back to Psalm 129, Jesus was about to take the judgment that should have been carried out on the enemies of Israel and bear it on himself. The punishment for all that had been done to Israel and all that's been done ever since to God's people was about to be carried out on Jesus. How did he even see and hear the crowd that cheered so proudly for him that day? I honestly don't get it. Knowing what awaited him in Jerusalem, how did Jesus persevere through it all? How did he not just turn back and avoid what he was about to face? How did he even get to that point without bailing? Well, he must have been pretty tough, huh? Someone who found that inner strength, he believed in himself and toughed it out. Somehow Israel found that the inner strength that they needed to stay alive for thousands of years amidst the persecution. 
So no to both of those. Psalm 129.4 says, The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. Then fast forward to Jesus, John chapter 12, verses 27 and 28. Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Before this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it, will glorify it again. That was God speaking audibly, I'll do this. So let me ask you this question. Is perseverance on us? Is it up to us to find the strength that we need to withstand whatever, whatever the enemy throws at us? No, it's not. That wasn't the case for Israel. They didn't survive on toughness. They persevered because God was at work cutting the cords of the wicked and glorifying his name. Did Jesus persevere through the cross and grave on mental, emotional, and physical toughness? I don't think so. Jesus persevered because his father was at work cutting the cords of the wicked and glorifying his name. Do we persevere through illness, anxiety, loneliness, despair, weakness, and everything else the the world throws at us on our own mental, emotional, and physical strength? No, we don't. We persevere because God is cutting the cords of the wicked and glorifying his name. God brought Israel through millennia of persecution. God brought his own son through the horror of the cross and the grave. And God can bring you through absolutely anything that this world throws at you because he's God and he has cut the cords of the wicked. And he is shining light on who he is and all that he has to offer through our lives, even through the most difficult things. This week, perseverance was redefined for me. And I hope it has been for you as well this morning. In John chapter 12, verses 31 to 32, Jesus went on to say this. He said, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And lifted up from the earth referred to his crucifixion. So this morning, I wanted us to celebrate communion together. There was a massive victory won in the crucifixion of Jesus. The enemy's power was taken away. He may still be at work in this world like he was in the time when our psalm was written, but the cords of his plow have been cut, stripping him of his power to plow our backs and have any lasting effect on us. 
Jesus took care of all that by offering his own back to the enemy and taking our place. And that is an amazing gift worth giving thanks for. Let me encourage you again, read the book of John this week. Read through it. Enter into Holy Week with your eyes and your hearts and your mind wide open, ready to receive what God has for you. His name is going to be glorified this week. And we're going to worship him for all that he's done for us. We persevere because God cut the cords of the enemy's plow and glorified his name as his son stepped into our place and took away the enemy's power. We're going to remember that now together as we take communion. Let me give you a little bit of instruction. Um, We haven't done communion quite this way in a little while, so here's what's happening. The elements are all up front here on these two tables. I would encourage you as you're ready to come, to stand up, come to the middle aisle, come down the middle aisle, pick up your elements, and then you can go back to your seat, you can go find a corner somewhere, you can come before the cross, and when you're ready, take the communion elements in remembrance of Jesus for all that he's done. Take them when you're ready, spend a moment just thanking God for what he's done through Jesus, and then enter into this and just remember we remember the body of Jesus Christ that was willingly given in our place. He took it all on him. He took the beating on his back. That was a symbol of the punishment that came, that came due for all who have sinned, and that means everybody. Jesus took it on his own back. He gave up his body in place of ours. And we're going to remember his blood His blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sin and the sin of the world. Remember that as you come this morning and take the elements of communion. Let me pray for us as we begin this remembrance together. And I invite you to just take take a minute here before I talk to God, you, you talk to him. Let him know how grateful you are that you are persevering because the cords of the enemy's plow have already been cut. You are persevering because God said that he will glorify his name. Thank him that you don't have to come up with the strength on your own. That it's by the power of his spirit living in you that you're able to face anything that this world throws at you because what the world throws at you is temporary. It will wither and die in light of the eternity that awaits us. Thank him for that this morning. God, we acknowledge together right now that you have done great things for us. We acknowledge that you have taken your son and sent him to rescue us, not 
by coming and just overthrowing the world and sweeping us away. He came into the absolute confusion, I'm sure, of so many who were waving palm branches and celebrating him. Their confusion as he was then led away to the cross and crucified. God, we see it now. We see what they couldn't see. We see what had to happen. And we see ourselves. We see our need for a savior. We see that we're the ones whose backs should have been plowed, whose blood should have been shed. But instead, we see Jesus. We see your plan, a plan that was initiated as soon as sin entered this world. We see your love love that was so, so deep that you willingly gave your son to suffer and die in our place. And through that, you took the power away from the enemy. And I thank you that, well, he still has some power in this world and he brings difficult, terrible things like illness and calamity and all kinds of terrible things on us. Those things are temporary. Those things will wither and fade like grass on a rooftop. Because he can't have that kind of effect on us. He can't hurt us eternally. Thank you for drawing us to yourself as your son was lifted up on the cross. For inviting us home adopting us as children and gifting us with eternal life. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, your strength for all that we need to persevere through this time, this temporary time here on earth. So this morning, Lord, we remember, we remember what Jesus did for us and we praise you for it. We do all of this in his name, in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Thank you.